Hi, this is Felix Chimeranyika, lead pastor of Kairos Christian Center in Lilonga, Malawi. I am happy that you have joined us for the Kairos Lilonga podcast, and I believe God is going to inspire you and break you through into your kingdom destiny as you hear the word unpacked. This is your Kairos moment, God's appointed season for your kingdom breakthrough. The word that we want to hear for today. And then when you'd gone to sit down, there came another guy to speak, and this guy was now speaking in Spanish. And every time, every sentence that this guy was speaking, it was like, wow, people were clapping their hands a lot. So he kind of like felt embarrassed and, you know, he started clapping a lot too. So when people are clapping a lot, you clap a lot too. And then the guy that, he, that sat next to him said, uh, Mr. President, I, I wouldn't do that if I were you uh, because he's interpreting your speech. <laughs> The guy was interpreting his speech, and so it really wasn't looking well that here he was clapping for his own speech, isn't it? Right? It, would, it came across like he was a very prideful person. See, humility is something that wise people take to heart and how wise people live. And in this passage, we're shown about humility, and it, help us, it helps us to understand how we can live in humility. And I believe there are four things that come out of this text that will help you and I to live in humility. Number one, I want you to note that living in humility is stopping your selfishness. Living in humility is stopping your selfishness. Watch verse number one of chapter number four. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you, you desire and do not have? So you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Remember again, James is writing to Jewish Christians, early Christians at that time. Probably James is the earliest uh, book of the New Testament. Right? So he's writing to these people, and like you know, Jewish rabbis would do at that time, they would write some circular letters to the Jews in the diaspora so that they can you know, advise them in terms of how they ought to live for their God. And so here too, it's like James is like this rabbi, Christian rabbi, that is writing to all these churches, all these people, about how they ought to live. Right? And so as he's writing, he's writing about how we ought to live our lives and practically live our faith in the world that is around us. And so, obviously, he has heard that there are things going on in those churches. Now, I'm, I'm telling you, when you have human beings, you're bound to have trouble, isn't it? Right? If you have human beings, you're bound to have trouble. So even in a church, you have human beings, and so you're bound to have trouble. And so there are quarrels and there are fights in these churches. And so he says, listen, the source of your quarrels, the source of your fights, is really your passions. Now the word that is used for passions there can also be translated pleasures. It's a word where we get our English word hedonism or hedonistic. Something that is fun filled. Right? And so what he's saying is, listen, you have this, this hunger for pleasures. There are these things that you do that you're, you're so about and you want to ensure that as an individual you exercise your freedom, your right to enjoy yourself. And that becomes the cause of the quarrels and the fights amongst you. He says, here's what you do. You desire, but do not have. I'm sorry, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You want things. You covet and, and, and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And living in a materialistic age. We are living in a materialistic age. In an age where people are about things, isn't it? 
Where we value each other, not because of each other's character, but we value each other because of what we have or what we do not have. And so the people that have, we value a lot more, isn't it? The people that do not have, we value a lot less. We are very materialistic. Hallelujah. And watch. Even church, the, the people, the, the churches that will promise you that you get a lot of material things, they are the churches where everybody's flocking to, isn't it? Yes, because at heart, we are people that are materialistic. So he says, you have these desires and you cannot obtain those things and so you murder. That there are people out there that are killing each other. Or, uh, it could be. But remember again, James is steeped in the teaching of Jesus. And Jesus says, whoever calls his brother stupid fool, that person is as, as bad as killing somebody. Isn't it? Right? And so here, when you have quarrels, when you have fights, you don't have people that are loving each other. There are people that... It's very sad that many times we go by what our friends have. So if your friend has the iPhone X, or is it 10? I don't know. But there will be something inside you that will say, I also ought to get that. No, it won't even matter if you can't afford it, or even if your friend could not afford it. But the fact that your friend has it, now you want to have it too. Somebody says, or said, a neighbor's luxury becomes a necessity. <laughs> so if your neighbor has that luxurious thing, something inside you says, I also should have that. He says, that's the kind of stuff that brings about tensions amongst us because we are looking at outward things and we're looking at just getting things. He says, you covet. What is to covet? To covet is to want something that is not yours and especially something that God does not have as his will for your life. That's covetousness. Covetousness is wanting something that God does not want for you. It's not God's will for you, but yet you still want it. That's covetousness. And you know, in the Ten Commandments, it's one of the commandments you should not covet. Isn't it? Oh, many times we're coveting. Oh, not only do we covet the, the iPhones of our, of our neighbors and our friends, sometimes we even covet our, our, our friends' girlfriends and boyfriends and husbands and wives. Amen. He's writing to Christians. In other words, these things are happening in our hearts. They're happening amongst us. It says you covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel. Look, you should watch the things that you covet. <laughs> I mean, coveting is bad itself. But watch the things that you want to from the other people. Because it could just be that other person has gotten that iPhone by stealing. Isn't it? It could just be that. They've stolen some money. That's why they have an iPhone. Right? And so if you think that the iPhone becomes for you, the iPhone X that is, becomes a thing that you must have. When you covet it. Or you will come at a place where when you don't have the money for it, you will want to obtain it. And guess what? You'll be led into stealing. Isn't it? And then he says, here's your problem. You do not have because you do not ask. You don't have because you don't ask. Now, who again is this person that is talking about that is asking? Or who is it that this person is going to be asking from? Now, so far, as we're reading in James, we have to come to the conclusion that this asking is actually prayer. 
that you do not have because you do not pray. Do you know there's some people that never have because they never pray? There are some people that do not have because they just don't pray. And so, because they, they think that, oh, you know, I can do this by my, by, by my own self, and then they find out that they are, not, they are not able to amass the kind of money that they need to buy this, uh, this iPhone X, so uh, they, they, they find other means by which they can do that instead of going to God. Now, are you saying, Pastor, we, we should actually all be praying here for an iPhone X and, you know, God is going to grunt to us? No, I'm not saying that. But if it's God's will for you to have it, amen. You can have it, amen. Remember covetousness is wanting something that God does not want for you. How do you know if, if God wants you to have it? Well, you, you'll have enough money for it. Amen. No, I don't mean the kind of money that after you buy the iPhone for $1,000 and then you end up with nothing. That, that's not wisdom, right? I mean, we're talking about living wisely, right? That's not wisdom. I mean, you, you don't spend $1,000 or borrow money to buy something that you, you know, pretty much can find something cheaper to do with. Right? But the point is this. If God wants you, if it's his will that you can have something, listen, it's okay to want to get it. Why? Because God wants it for you too, isn't it? Hallelujah. I think I'm losing people this morning. Are we together though? I want you to catch covetousness is when you reach for something that's not in God's will in your life, covetousness. Now we do that even with things that we can afford. There are some things, listen, a phone is a phone, right? What's a phone for? Hello, how you doing? Right? Phone. Right? And then if you want a laptop, that's a totally different thing, isn't it? Right? Now, yes, there are smartphones, and so these smartphones, they do all sorts of different things. But do you know, you can get other smartphones that are cheaper than that, that can actually do the very same thing without you having to borrow money to buy the iPhone, to buy the smartphone. Sometimes you wonder, some of these smartphones are for, you know, dumb people, isn't it? Because, I mean, they're... They're not making the connections that, look, if I'm spending $1,000 to get this and I have no money at all, then it, I'm really dumb. So maybe a smartphone is not for you. A smartphone is for smart people, right? Oh, at least it's supposed to be. But watch. He says you do not have because you ask not. May it be that may it not be that the provision that you need to do what God has called you to do, may it not be that you're not getting it because you're not, you're not praying. May it not be because you're not praying. And friend, listen, this is where prayer becomes important because prayer is our asking before God. Prayer is the means that God grants to us and supplies to us. To us. And he says, well, when you do ask, verse number three, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So you can pray, you can ask, but you never get it. Why? Because it's all about you. Hallelujah. And so you can get frustrated because you're saying, oh, but God, don't you know I need this job? Don't you know I need this money? Don't you know I need recapitalization? Don't you know I need all this stuff? Please help me. And yet God is saying, uh, is this about you? Or is this about me and my destiny for you? You see, sometimes we can pray for something 
and God will not grant it to us because we are praying so that we can fulfill our pleasures. And God is not in it. God is not in it. See, God is about your motive. He's about your motive. Why do you want to go to school? Why do you want that you should get that scholarship? Is this about you? Is this just about you? Is this about your service to your community? Or is this about you competing with your friends to show that you are just as educated as them or better educated than them? Because you were together in standard two or in, in secondary school or something. God doesn't play that game. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Listen, if you want a prayer that God is going to answer, pray according to God's will. If you want God to answer your prayers, pray prayers that are according to God's will. If you pray according to your own will, you will never get an answer from God. Now, you must understand, there are other places you can get answers to, right? Amen. You can go to a singanga and you can get an answer. Don't you know? You can get an answer from a singanga. Very true. You can go there. And so here's our problem. We are a people that are so materialistic that are looking for the answers and anybody that offers an answer, we will go there and we say, oh yes, you know, God has granted me. Uh-uh. It may not be God. And here's the sad part. Because we're so materialistic, the devil out there has realized that the way to, to make us to, to uh, or to deceive us, to get us away from the path of the word of God, is to bring in his counterfeit miracles. Oh, and so you have singangas in Christian garb. Singangas that look like Christians and that, that look like prophets, that look like apostles. And what they're bringing in is not things that are from God. No. They're bringing in things that are from the kingdom of darkness. I tell you, these are times of deception. These are times of deception. The deception has come. Oh, 666 and stuff like that. You're thinking it's going to come in the future. It's already here. It's already here. Because you see, some of these so-called prophets, some of these so-called pastors and apostles and evangelists, what they're pointing to is not Jesus. They're pointing to your greed and the things that you can have. And so, James says, watch it. Watch it. If you're going to live humbly, you must be a person that is stopping your selfishness. Stop making life about you. Stop making life about your pleasures. Stop making life about your ease. Stop making even coming to church about you. You know coming to church is not about you. Hallelujah. I just want to go to that church because, you know, when they go in, when I go there, the, the music is wonderful. Uh -uh. That's not why we join a church. We join a church because we feel God has connected us to the vision of that place. But again... We have people that want to be entertained. We have our pleasures, isn't it? Right? And so then even as we're doing a very holy thing called church, we come with a defiled mindset that says, even this I'm doing it for me. Stop your selfishness. Do you know this is the place where you serve? Church is about serving. Church is not about you. Turn with me to Philippians chapter number 2 and hear what Paul is saying to the Philippian church who also had challenges in terms, in, in the sense of their being united. Watch chapter number 2 of Philippians. Philippians is just after Ephesians, okay? 
Verse number three. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was, though he was, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So watch, we're not supposed to do things out of selfish ambition, out of rivalry. We're supposed to be doing things with one mind, with one heart. And when that comes out of the equation of your life, you become a selfish person and you cannot at the very same time be a humble person. Living humbly is stopping your selfishness, number one. Living humbly, number two, is submitting yourself to God. Submitting yourself to God. See, you have two options. You either submit to God, or you come under the authority of God, or you come under your own authority. Two things in life. You either submit yourself to God, or you submit yourself to you. And of course, submitting yourself to you is lying to you because you are not the fine authority of anything, are you? So there are some other authorities over you. They are the ones that you are submitting to. Watch what James says in verse number 4. He says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Watch what he calls him. You adulterous people. In fact, if you check, probably there's a footnote in your Bible. Adulterous means you adulteresses. Adulteresses, female adulterers, isn't it? That's what it is. And so he says, you are female adulterers. Why is he calling the church female? Well, because we know that in the Bible, God refers to the church or to his people as his bride. So in Isaiah 54, when God's speaking about Israel, he says Israel is his bride. Jeremiah chapter number 2, verse number 2, refers to Israel as his bride. In Ephesians chapter number 5, Paul says that the church is the bride of Christ. Isn't it? And so what he's talking about here is that the church of Christ or the church, the people of God, have now become adulterous. They've run after another man. And watch. He's talking about people in the church. You adulteresses. Ask your neighbor, are you an adulteress? Running after other gods. Oh, pastor, that's harsh. Don't, don't worry with me. Worry with James, man. I'm just preaching what James says, adulteresses. He says, you adulteresses. Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? In other words, you can't have the best of both worlds. Why? You cannot be in both worlds. You cannot be in God's world and be in this world too. He says to be friends with God is to be enemies with this world. You cannot be popular in church and popular at the club. Impossible. It doesn't work that way. And so, Jesus said it. In fact, it's John who says it. That the world and its lusts, they're passing away. 
and all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, they are not of the Father. And it's all passing away. See, friend, you and me, as believers, we are called to be people that are friends with God. That we do the very same things that God does. That we follow our master. Not the uh, people that are doing the same stuff that the world is doing. We cannot be friends with God and also at the very same time friends with the world. No. It can't be. It's not meant to be like that. Oh, how it is that we want the popularity of the world, isn't it? And so we say stuff like, well, you know, I'm not that kind of born-again Christian. Jakaki. Hardcore. Talking nothing but the Bible. Reading nothing but the Bible. Listening to nothing but Christian stuff. I'm not like that. And so we've come at a point where we want acceptability with the world. Isn't it? So we don't want to be behind with the fashion. We also want to move on with the fashion. Now, is there anything wrong with being fashionable? I do not think so. But the problem comes in when you start defining yourself according to the world. Where you start compromising your stand because the world demands that. Where you start dressing a particular way because the world says that's a way to dress. And yet that way of dressing is against the very word of God. See, that is compromise. That is friendship with the world. I don't know who was saying this to somebody, but they said, hey, my brother, that big tie there, you can make four other ties. <laughs> Konjo was talking to you, right? <laughs> yeah, he says, that big tie, man, you can make four ties out of that. <laughs> and I look at my tie, I was like, um, maybe you can make six out of mine. But here's my point. Nothing wrong with us being fashionable. It's everything wrong if we start defining ourselves the fashions of the world. Right? And this is what James is talking about. He says that you cannot be friends with God and also be friends with the world. Enmity with, with God is friendship with the world. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend, it says in, uh, in, in verse number four there, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Uh, so, very automatic. You want to be friends and popular here? Automatically, you're already enemies here. You want to be enemies with the world? I mean, enemies with, uh, with, with, uh, with God? The sure way to be enemies with God is to ensure that you are running after the things of the world. Here's something that he says. Verse number five. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns earnestly over the spirit that he has met to dwell in us. And here, of course, James is speaking of the idea that God has put his spirit in those that believe in him. So for example, in 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, we hear there that the, we, our, our bodies, are the temple of the spirit. Right? And so, he, he, he is jealous for us. Do you know God loves you? God loves you. God loves you. And because God loves you, God is jealous of you. Amen. Ever been jealous of somebody? Ever been jealous? As in, hey, I'm going to a place where there are all these guys there. 
I'll make sure I stand very close to my woman. So everybody knows. She's taken. Chop. But you know love is like that, isn't it? Is that strange for love to be like that? No, it's not. Love is like that. Love is jealous. In fact, when there is no jealousy, there is no love. Amen. When there's no jealousy, there is no love. If your boyfriend, your girlfriend, if they ever say, oh no, you can go out there and have fun. You can come tomorrow morning. It's okay. You should know that they have plans. <laughs> They're just looking for the evidence to say, I heard you were doing that. Da, 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 da. So it's over. Because anybody that truly loves you would be protective, isn't it? They'll be jealous. So it is with our God. He's very jealous of us. And he does not want us to be friends with the world. Have you thought about it? That God actually hates it when we are friends with the world. God hates it when we compromise. Why? Because we're giving ourselves over to the, that boyfriend, that girlfriend out there. That we always run after called Satan. He doesn't like it. And so, watch what Jim says. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says God opposes the proud. But gives grace to the humble. Watch this. In as much as he is jealous. What's a jealous, husband's go, uh, a jealous husband going to do. When he finds his wife was cheating on him. Oh let me make a cup of tea. Really? Uh-uh. He's going to be mad. Isn't it? He'll seek some form of retribution, isn't it? And, and you know, to some extent, God, when we go the wrong way, he will want to bring us into the right way out of his love for us or his jealousy for us, right? And so then, there is a, 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 some, some form of punishment that, there is, that is expected when we err, when we go out of our way. And that's what James is talking about. That in as much as he says he's jealous and his spirit is in us and he yearns for us. Guess what? There's grace. So he's a gracious God. In as much as we double cross him and triple cross him sometimes. Or is it quadruple cross him? I know there's some people like that. Eh? They just can't have one girlfriend. They have this one and that one and that one and that one. And there you are busy trying to say, oh no, he's going to get married to me. He, he, I'm the one that he loves. Uh-uh. If he can have four outside of marriage, I mean, uh, before you get married, how about when you get married? Right? Triple crossing, double crossing, quadruple crossings. Right? And so the man must get mad. Or the lover must get mad. And so here too, God gets mad. But, Jim says, no, but there is grace. In other words, with God, because He loves us, He doesn't look at us just in terms of our failures. He wants to woo us back into that relationship with Him. But He gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Watch it now. The person that has become proud, the person that has sought another God, apart from God, that person who comes back to say, Lord, forgive me. God will take him in. God will take her in because that person has humbled himself, has humbled herself. Again here, uh, James is quoting from the Old Testament, from Proverbs 3, verse number 34. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the 
humble. Now, what's, what's the antidote? What's the answer to this problem of our idolatry? Because that's what it is, isn't it? Our adulteries, our running after other things, our making other things to be number one in our lives apart from God. What is the antidote? What is the answer? Watch what James says. He says in verse number seven there, he says, resist, I'm sorry, submit yourselves, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. That's the answer. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. See, the word submit was also a military term that was used of something coming under the authority of something. So what is being said here is, put yourself under the authority of God. Do you know, to come into the kingdom of God is to come into the authority of God. Amen. So when somebody says, I am born again, they have entered into the kingdom of God, isn't it? Or they have entered into the authority of God. No longer are they an authority on themselves, they are, the, they are under the authority of God. And so a truly born again person, a true Christian, will be under the authority of God. And here's James's answer to idolatry. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. In other words, come at a point where you really are under the authority of God. And then here's the next thing that happens. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So submit yourself to God, right? And you will be able to resist the devil and he'll flee from you. See, you can never resist the devil if you have not submitted to God. In other words, we can come, I can come and chase out demons from you, but if you have not submitted yourself to God, they're going to come back again. Hallelujah. And I tell you, chasing demons before a person is saved is very dangerous. Because when those demons go, Jesus tells us, Matthew chapter number 12, when those demons go, they go into the desert places, they look around for a place, they, they can't find where to dwell, they dwell in human beings in, in, or in, in living things. And so they'll come back to that person and find that the house is swept, it's empty, there's nothing there. Why? Well, because there's no Jesus there. Here's what they do. He goes and gets seven more demons more powerful than himself and comes and has a party in your life. And the worst state of that person is worse than, or the, state, the latter state of that person is worse than the first state. Why? Because here was somebody chasing out demons before that person submitted himself or herself under the authority of God. You know, sometimes people stay, say stuff like, oh, listen, you know, I think, I think I'm, I'm demon possessed and so I need prayer. First thing I'll ask you is, have you received Jesus as Lord and Savior? Is he, are you under the authority of Jesus? Because if you're under the authority of Jesus, then we have three quarters of the problem solved. If you're not born again, if you're not under the authority of Jesus, we're just getting into more trouble. We're taking you from, as they say, from the frying pan into the fire itself. So, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Listen, when you're under the authority of God, you have the authority now from God that you can resist the devil. Without the authority of God, you cannot resist the devil. Listen, some of you, some of us right now, our Christian lives, our lives before God right now are very weak ones. We don't even remember last time we prayed, last time we read the word of God. We don't even remember the last time we were excited about, about the things of God. 
See, in that state, it is hard for you to have the authority to say to the devils, to say to Satan, be gone. Why? Because you first of all must be submitted under the authority of God. And when you have, when you're under the authority of God, then you have the authority of God. That you can resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Before that, you're just wasting your breath. What you need to do, submit yourself under the authority of God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. He says, draw near to God. And here's the thing, submission, when somebody has sinned, submission means repentance, isn't it? Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. So watch this. He says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Oh, it's a good thing you've come to church today. You're coming to church today is a sign that you're saying, I'm drawing near to God. And I assure you, every step that you take closer to God is a step that God also takes closer to you. Right? What's the next thing that he says? He says, well, um, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Is he speaking to Christians? The sinners? Uh, Christians? Hello? Is he speaking about Christians? Yes, he is. Is he speaking the double-minded are Christians? Yes. Remember double-minded in chapter number one? Spoke of a person that does not believe, isn't it? Who does not have confidence in God and his word. Double-minded. Oh, you have people that are double-minded. Right now they're thinking, their faith is pumped up. Oh, you know, I believe God is going to do that thing. God is going to heal me. God is going to do this. God is going to do that. They move out of here. They get back into their world with their worldly friends. They start telling them, listen, you need to go to Mozambique. Are there any specialist hospitals in Mozambique? Well, not the kind of hospitals you're thinking about. But there's some jungle somewhere where there's this African doctor. That's what they call him now. This African doctor that will help you with your problem. Double-minded. Double-minded. Do not be double-minded. He says, no, 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 no. You who, whose hands are dirty, cleanse them. Come before him and say, Father, forgive me for these things that I have done. Wash me in your blood. Says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive all our iniquities, isn't it? And so that's what he's saying. That listen, you who has doubled, who has played around with the world. You who has not put yourself under the authority of God, but have willingly moved from there and become friends with the enemy of God. He says, this, here's what you should do. Cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts. Make your heart to have a, a, a single-mindedness. Not your heart to be about this and about that and about that and about that. No, let your heart be about a single-minded devotion to God. And he says, verse number nine, be wretched and mourn and weep. <laughs> What's that about? Well, if you're truly repentant, you grieve for your sin. If you're truly repentant, you will grieve for your sin. It will grieve you. It will grieve you. Do you know, we have this easy believism and this wrong understanding of grace where we think that, oh, you know, I, I, I did a wrong thing. I sinned. And so, uh, Father, forgive me. Uh, I have sinned. And then I move on. Maybe no wonder we go back to that stuff. Eh? Because we really have not grieved. We really have not seen the pain it causes God. We really have not seen the depth of our depravity. How bad that thing is. We have not seen it. 
And so therefore, we go back to business as usual. And that thing keeps recurring, keeps happening, keeps happening, keeps happening. Why? Because there isn't the grieving process of our, over our sin. He said, be wretched. And mourn. And weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning. And your joy to gloom. Now, I don't know if you know about this, but in the 1970s, there was a revival here. Since the 1970s, 1980s, there was a revival. Started on Blanta. Some call it the Blanta Born Again Awakening. And you know what the Born Agains were known for? That when they was preaching and they gathered together, there was a lot of crying. There was a lot of weeping. Why were people crying and weeping over their sin? They were grieved. They had come into the presence of God and they knew that, no, but I cannot live my life like this. They saw themselves for who they really were. Oh, but I tell you today, church is a place to look cool, isn't it? Yeah, church is a place to look cool. Not here. And what he's calling for is, there must be repentance and there must be the grieving over our sin. Why don't we grieve over our sin? Because we trivialize it, we make it small. Because with a false sense of grace, we think that God is okay with it. No, if God loves us and we're sleeping with the enemy, guess what? God will be hurt, will be grieved, isn't it? And if we love God and we see his grief, we also will grieve. And so, James says, that's what I mean by humbling yourself. Watch the next verse there. It says in verse number 12, I'm sorry, verse number 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. That's humbling yourself. That's putting yourself under the authority of God. That's submitting yourself. And when you submit yourself to God, guess what happens? He exalts you. Hallelujah. Oh, some of us are looking for things in the wrong places. We've been lied to by the world that the only answer to getting the things that we need is somehow we should compromise with the world and do stuff in the world. I'm here to tell you, my friend, when you put yourself under the authority of God, God is going to exalt you. You humble yourself. You go through that trouble. And guess what? You will never get to the next level of, in God unless you go through trouble. Go and ask Joseph. How did Joseph become the prime minister? He went through a lot of hardship. There are things that hurt him. People spoke about him. People plotted against him. People that he served wholeheartedly. They were against him. But you know, he had learned. It's not about people. I do not react to people. It's about the authority of God. So I will do it in such a way that I bring honor to God. And when he started thinking like that, in God's due time, in his season, God lifted up Joseph. Or oh, for somebody here, it's your season that you should humble yourself. It's your season that you stop flirting around with the world. It's your season that you realize who you really are and what God has called you to. That he has called you to great things. But those great things are not going to happen until you humble yourself. Humble yourself. Humble yourself before the Lord. And he will exalt you. Living humbly is stopping your selfishness, number one. Living humbly is submitting to yourself to God. Number three, living humbly is speaking well of others. I mean, it's really interesting. As far as James is concerned, Christianity is not just about me and God. You know, a lot of people want the faith to be like that, isn't it? It's just about me and God. And you know, th that's so easy, isn't it? If it's just me and God, 
I mean, many times he doesn't answer back to me, isn't it? Right? I mean, many times you just speak to him. It's not like he's going to start saying all sorts of things and start showing you this and that and that. And so we feel safe in a sense with God. And less so with other people in our lives who start telling us that, listen, that's not right. You didn't speak well to that person. No, but you know, I had every right because that person said da 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 da. No, that wasn't the proper response. And so there's the point where our living or our life in God is also a life with people. There's this vertical relationship we have with God. But guess what? The cross is not just vertical, it's also horizontal. On the horizontal plane is where I live with other people. Amen. So God is not just about me and him. No. It's me, him, and you. Right? So watch what James says, verse number 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. And of course, when he says brothers here, he means sisters as well, right? He says, don't speak evil of one another. Oh, don't we just love it? Our gossip columns. I mean, we actually have columns in the newspaper, gossip columns. And some of us actually love to go there and read. What have the Kardashians done? And yeah, it's like, huh. No, we should not speak evil of one another, he says. And watch what he says next. Uh, he says, the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Now, if you remember, James had said in, uh, in chapter number two, he had spoken of the royal law. And the royal law, he said, and of course, this is something that's a teaching coming out of Jesus. Uh, he, it was, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So verse number eight of chapter number two, if you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law, but fails on one point has become accountable for all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, if you do not love your neighbor as yourself, you're breaking the royal law. Now, if you're speaking evil against somebody else, you are breaking the, law, the royal law. And he says, worse still, you have made yourself to be a judge. Now, the judgment here is really a judgment of hypocrisy, a hypocritical judgment. See, Jesus, in Matthew chapter number 7, is against hypocritical judgment. Where you find the speck in somebody's eye when you have a log in your own. Where you find problems with other people, but there's never a problem with you. Hypocritical judgment, that's what he's coming against. And he says, when you do this, you are somebody that is sitting as a judge. I remember one day when I was still at ABC College. I'm in the minibus and then, you know, listening to the radio and then there comes this program uh, which means you know literally would mean let's judge each other <laughs> I mean 
right? And so somebody was saying, doesn't the Bible tell us that, you know, we shouldn't be judging each other? No, the Bible is against hypocritical judgment, number one. The Bible actually says that there should be judgment. Paul says that, no, I don't judge those that are outside the faith, isn't it? I judge those that are inside, isn't it? And judgment must be there so there can be correction. Right? So judgment comes in out of love so that there can be correction. So when we speak of church discipline, maybe the better word to use is restoration. That we're disciplining the person so that we can restore them back in fellowship with God and with the church. You get it? And so that's a thinking here that the person that hypocritically judges is a person that sits in the seat of the judge and is making himself or making herself to be above the law. Why is it that people speak evil against each other? Do you know people speak evil against each other because they have unresolved issues? When you don't have an issue resolved with somebody, the tendency is you start to tell somebody else, you know, so-and-so was saying this and they say that to me. Right? So you start gossiping. Right? When you come at a place where when somebody wrongs you, you do not resolve that issue. You do not seek that there should be forgiveness or reconciliation. You are going to have a bitterness. It's interesting. Paul writes in Philippians chapter number 4. In verse number 26, verse number 27. He says, be angry but do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. Right? Be angry but do not sin. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. It's almost like there's a connection. When you let the sun go down on your anger, you are going to sin. And then he says, neither give ye a place to the devil. In other words, when you're angry, the sun goes down on your anger. You come at a place where you open a door, a place to the enemy. Amen. And so some of this... Most of this evil speaking of others is because we have unresolved issues with them. We have unresolved issues with them. Instead of us going to that person, as Jesus said, if your brother sins against you, in Matthew chapter number 18, if your brother sins against you, you go to your brother and tell him he sin. In other words, resolve that issue. If he won't hear you, get another brother. And address the person again. If, they want, if he won't hear the two of you, then take it to the elders of the church. Take it to the leadership that they can help to make peace amongst you. See, if you do not do that, you will speak evil of people. And here's the thing about evil or the devil. You give him an inch, he takes a yard. You give him a yard, he takes a mile. He blows up things. Oh, that person that somehow you think, that person doesn't like me, no, 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 no. When they just say something, you think they're talking about you. And you, you have your own context in which you interpret that person's words, isn't it? Yes. You have, you have your own exegetical methodology by which you say, oh, this person means that. And everybody says, but they didn't say that. No, they were saying that because I know them. Where did that come from? You have unresolved issues. You have unresolved issues. And here's what you must do. You must come at a point where you deal with that issue. Go to that person. You wronged me. You wronged me. You said such, such a thing and I got offended. Now the person can say, oh no, I didn't do whatever. It's okay. You have told them how you feel, isn't it? Do you know it's not every time that there can be reconciliation. 
for you to forgive somebody is not dependent on whether that person wants to be friends with you again. No. Forgiveness has to do, has to do with you and God. Because friend, if you don't forgive, here's what God says. In the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive, as we forgive those that sin against us. In other words, when you come to prayer before God, God is expecting you have come with clean hands. You bear no grudges. And you know, but you know, I think my life is not moving forward. Every time I pray to God, things are not working out. Yeah, you got too many grudges. You got too many people on your hit list. It's your problem. You need to get done with that. You need to come at a point of saying, I forgive them. No, but it just can't happen one time. Okay, God healed me, help me that I forgive them. Sometimes forgiveness is a continual process, isn't it? But it's the willingness that is there that God works on to heal you. If there is no willingness, there is no healing. And you'll be stuck there. See, as long as I'm your problem and I'm against you, you will never move from your problem. Because chances are, I'm not going to move from here and say, okay, yeah, you've, you have a problem and I am your problem. I'm sorry I am the problem. Well, human beings don't exactly work like that, isn't it? And so if you're looking for the place where somebody says, I'm really the problem, forgive me. That's when you forgive them. You are stuck. You are stuck. And friend, you will not have freedom in your life. Do you know lack of forgiveness can cause diseases, sickness? Yes, yes. There are some sicknesses that come about because of our mental state. They call them psychosomatic diseases, isn't it? So the doctor, you go to Dr. Friday, they check you out. But you know you're okay. And yet you have this pain in your body. Nobody can diagnose what it is and you still have a problem. It could be. It's a grudge you have. Mm. Grudges are expensive. They'll take you to doctors. Mm? You spend a lot of money. Just because you couldn't let go. Tell your neighbor, it's time to let go. Time to let go. Living humbly is stopping your selfishness. Living humbly is submitting yourself to God. Living humbly is speaking well of others. And finally, living humbly is seeking God's will for your life. Seeking God's will for your life. Look at verse number 13. It says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and, and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. So there are those that would say, oh, you know what? And next year, next year, I'm going to apply for a scholarship. And the year after that, I'll be in this master's program. And then after I'm done with that, I work one year. And then I get into a PhD program. And then after I'm done with that, I, 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 I move to some other country. And I become this great professor of research and whatever. Says, watch it. Oh, no. Next year is when we're expanding our business. We're going to have brunches worldwide. Okay. See, there is there, in there, is a trace of an exaggerated self-importance. That you think that you have got it all worked out. And I tell you, when you live your life like that, you get very disappointed. Because friend, who knows? That getting out of here today, you can get into an accident that can cripple you. 
Who knows? Who knows that tomorrow you may be struck with something that will make you unable to do what you've always said, this is what I'm about. I mean, this is presumption, isn't it? I mean, who has a contract with God? But God signed and said, on such such a day, at such such a time, you will expire. Let's not use die, you get scared. You will expire. <laughs> who has a contract like that? Who has a contract like that? Nobody has a contract like that. Who knows the future? Nobody knows the future. And so, there is a presumption. A worldly presumption. Oh, we will do this. Oh, we will do that. Oh, we will do that. All right? And then watch. It says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Have you seen a mist? Mist? I mean, now it's getting hotter, isn't it? And only maybe when the water really boils a lot, that's when you start seeing the mist, isn't it? In June... When it's colder, mist you all, all of a sudden, I mean, the water's been there for maybe 30 seconds and you start seeing the mist coming out there. He says, you are worse than a summer mist. That just shows up a little bit and then it's gone. See, you and I forget. We think we'll live forever. Amen. We think we will live forever. We are lied to. We've convinced ourselves that we, will, we are here for a while. No, the truth of the matter is, my friend, you and me are not here for long. All men are like grass, and their glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade. We will die. Amen. Tell your neighbor, you will die. <laughs> so he says, look, you are here and you're gone. You're here and you're gone. You know, sequel motors here today, there tomorrow, right? Yeah, so we're just like that. We're here today, there. We're, I mean, tomorrow we're there. We're in hell or in heaven, somewhere along the way. But watch, here's how you ought to say. He says in verse number 15, Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your ignorance. Now watch. He says, here's how you should be talking. Not next year, this is what we'll do. The other year, this is what we're going to do. He says, no, 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 no. You should be saying, if the Lord wills, this is what we'll do. Now, of course, he doesn't mean that all you have to say is, ah, you know, Pastor, I just preached this morning about these statements that we make. So, you know, if the Lord wills, next year, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get a scholarship. And then if the Lord wills, I'll work for a year. And if the Lord wills, I'll get into a PhD program. And if the Lord wills, no, you're missing the point. Because all you've done is you've just covered your phrasing with Christianese. You know Christianese? Christianese is a language of Christians. It only makes sense to them. How are you doing today? Good morning. How are you doing? I'm blessed. Oh, okay. You're blessed? Well, what do you mean you're blessed? Oh, it's a Christian thing you wouldn't understand. Now, listen. See, this is not talking about phraseology. It's not talking about the things to say. I want you to watch this. <laughs> Either she knows somebody or she does that. Right? <laughs> Listen, it's not just the phrasing of it. It's also the heart of it. Because you see, this is a call to really saying, God, what is your will for my life? 
What is your will for my life? I want to know my, your will for my life. And I want to live my life according to your will. This is not the place for baptizing your plans. Oh God be, you know some prayers? God be with me today as I go about my business. Which God? The one who sits in heaven. He should come down and go with you in your confused programs. You don't even know the left from the right. And he should come and he should be with you everywhere. I mean, even your friend wouldn't do that. They'll be like, hey, I'll be walking the whole day today. I don't want to follow you. <laughs> Honestly speaking, some of us are confused, isn't it? I mean, you, you wake up in the morning, you don't even know what you're going to do. And you want God to come along with you? No, not that God. Maybe you have a different one from Mozambique, but not this God. Yeah, people have their little gods they put in their, po their pockets. And under their beds that they worship. That one maybe can come with you, but not this one. This one expects you to go with him. He expects you to go with him. In fact, he expects you to find out where he is so that you can follow him. He expects you that you diligently seek him out in your life and find the path in your life where he's walking and you say, I'm following you. That's what James is saying. He's not trying to baptize plans that you have or plans you don't have. No. He's saying, be a person that knows God's will for your life. And then when you discern God's will for your life, then you follow God. Hey, but pastor, I'm getting scared because you know, you, you followed God and there you are preaching and hey man, things are not working out for you. I don't think that's the kind of life I want to live. Mm -mm. I have my path, you have your path. Everybody has their path. This is my path. For you and your accounting, there's a path for you. For you and your arts, there's a, a path for you. For you and your medicine, there is a path for you. Everybody has their path, but find from God His will for your life. Because when you find His will for your life, you are going to be a person who comes under His authority and therefore a humble person. And guess what happens with people that humble themselves before God? God exalts them. And so He says, let me finish up verse number 16. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Now everybody knows arrogance is not something that is good, right? Now can you imagine boasting in arrogance? It's like you're double wicked, man. I mean, it's bad enough to you, for you to be arrogant. And then you're boasting in your arrogance. He says, when you make, when you make those statements, when you say, oh, next year we're going to do this, and da 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 what you're doing is, you're boasting in your arrogance. You think you are here. You think you have a contract with God that you live on up until the day you have planned to get married. Hallelujah. I'm not trying to say you won't live until the day that you have planned to get married. All I'm trying to say is, do not be presumptuous. Your life is in, not in your hands. Your life is in the hands of God. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do, and fails to do it for him it is sin so you know the right thing to do what's the right thing seek god seek god seek the will of god and hear from god what it is that he he has set you what path he has set you on when you know that and you pursue that you're doing the right thing when you know that but you're not pursuing it evil for him who knows what to do, but does not do, that is sin. 
So pastor, how do I come at a place that I know God's will for my life? Is it like today I should just go home and then I say, Oh, hallelujah, Jesus, show me the will of my life here. <laughs> and then I've opened on Ezekiel, 15, Ezekiel 16. And it's talking about the Lord's faithless bride. Oh, I'm that. No. You see, it's a long obedience forward. In other words, it's a daily thing. Trust the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. And he shall what? He shall what? Mm -mm. He shall what? He shall direct your paths. Thank you. You help me preach. Watch though. It's not. Okay right now. God has told me what to do. No. It's in the small things. You listening to what you're listening today and you making it in your heart to say that's what I want to do I want to live my life like that it's a life of opening his word and getting his direction from his word and moving on and being obedient in those small little things he'll start opening doors for you that no man can shut he'll start moving you in the direction that he has for you and that is the direction to which you must be obedient no it's not necessarily somebody coming to you and saying, Thus says the Lord, thou hast been called to be a prophet in Jesus' name. And they say, oh, I'm a prophet, I'm a prophet. Not exactly. Can he do that? He does that. But by and large, it's following him. Getting into his word. Getting his direction. Living like you ought to live. Putting yourself under his authority. In other words, humbling yourself. As you do that, he will lead you into his path and he will exalt you living humbly is really living in the exaltation of God because when you humble yourself he exalts you may that be your heart cry Lord help me that I can walk with you amen, amen. let's stand up and want to pray together Thank you for listening to the Kairos Lolongwe podcast. I trust you've been blessed. Please do us a favor and share this podcast with friends on Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp, and whatever social media you're on. May the Lord break you through into your kingdom destiny. Blessings.